0: There was a moment when I didn't think I would be here (laughs) and that is the truth because this week three years ago our family moved back to BC and when that truck pulled in to Surrey I was a very broken beat up and bruised person and I never thought I'd ever ever do ministry again because I was so hurt and wounded And this morning as i was getting ready there was a song that came on i have a playlist that i play every morning to get me ready for the day and there was a song that came on and now i can't think of what the song is Um, but in the song it talks about how much god loves us and will where i find me where what is it called as you find me there it is Um, and as the song was playing i was reminded that three years ago in my brokenness in my bruised state that I was, that God met me there and He loved me. But the thing that the song goes on to say, and there's a part in the bridge that it says, He loves me too much to leave me there. And I'm so thankful that God loved me so much that he didn't leave me broken and bruised, that he didn't leave me there where I didn't think I could do anything ever again, and that I'm standing here this morning sharing my story with you. So I'm finishing off this series of my story, and somebody told me that they may have saved the best for last. That somebody may have been someone I'm married to, but they may have saved the best for last. I love a good story. I love a love story. I love a sad story. I love scary stories. I don't know why I do, but I love scary stories. I love listening to stories and I love telling stories. If there are any moms in the room, if you ever want to feel good about your parenting, come and sit with me and I will tell you stories about raising Austin. But I want you to know that they turned out really great, because he turned out to be a great individual. But he challenged me every day of his life, and he still actually does to this day. One of my favorite memories of growing up is with my grandpa, and we used to call him Papa and he's no longer with us, but when we were younger, my papa would sit and he would tell us stories. And he would tell us stories of when he was in the war, and he would tell us stories of when he was growing up, and he would tell us stories about us. That was our favorite When He would tell us stories about all the things that we did when we were little and sometimes he would exaggerate the facts, and sometimes he would make up parts of that story, and then my nanny would say, that's not the way it happened, and we would all have a great laugh. But I loved, it's a fond memory I have of growing up. I have a lot of memories of my childhood, and I had a really good childhood. But I also have some defining moments in my life that have changed me, and shaped me, and have made my story. My story started in the summer of 69. Some of you just had a song go through your head, right? That's my theme song. And some of you just did some math. Yes, I just turned 50 and I'm rocking it. But my story started in the summer of 69. I am one of four kids. So I am second. There's three girls and I'm second. And then there's a big nine-year gap and my parents finally got their little boy. So I have three siblings. When I was born, my parents lived a very different lifestyle. They were not Christians, they did not come from a Christian home, although my, my dad's mom had some kind of Christian upbringing. But they lived a very unchurched lifestyle. But when I was little, my mom, having no church background, for some reason she thought it was really important that her three girls went to church. So every Sunday morning, she would wake up and she would dress us in our fancy little dresses. And there was a church just down the street where we lived. And she would walk me and my sisters to church. She would take us to Sunday school. She would sit and wait. And then when Sunday school was over, she'd take us home. And Sunday after Sunday, she would do this. And eventually, some people in the church got hold of my mom. And they started to invest in my mom's life. And it wasn't too long before my mom met Jesus. I think that's why I love the local church so much is because the local church changed the direction of my family Someone took the time to care for a mom and her three little girls So never underestimate a hello in the foyer or when you meet someone on the way to take your kids to church Or even someone that you may have seen in church for a very long time But you stop and you say hello to them It could change their life in the direction that they're going. It could change what could happen in their day, because I know that because somebody in the local church talked to my mom and invested in my mom, it changed my family. And then shortly after that, my dad got radically saved and completely 100% free of drugs and alcohol, and our family changed. So my childhood memories are that of growing up in a Christian home and going to church. I have no memories of anything other than that. If the church doors were open, our our family was there. We went Sunday morning, we went Sunday evening, we went Wednesday, and we went all the days in between. Like we were at the church whenever the church was open and we were involved in everything. So my memories are that of going to church. I remember getting saved at the age of five in Sunday school and then later on attending youth group. And at the age of 14, it was probably the first time I heard God speak to me and it kind of freaked me out. We were in a youth service and God spoke to me. He said, I am going to use you, I have called you, I have called you to full-time ministry and I had no idea what that meant and I didn't even know who was speaking to me. I had not a clue what was going on and I didn't even know what to do with that information that was given to me. But I knew that there was a calling and a destiny on my life and that God wanted to use me I have such amazing memories of growing up and I have I had such a good childhood but I have a few memories that stand out you know like in my mind it's like there was a snapshot or a picture that was taken and I can remember everything that was in the room I can remember what I was doing I can remember what I was wearing it's just like there was a a moment in time that stopped And one of those defining moments for me was when I was 16 years old. At the time, I was trying to get my driver's license and my first real job, and I needed my birth certificate. And I had been asking my parents over and over for my birth certificate, and they had been putting me off and putting me off until one day. So when I was growing up, we had this thing called, some of you might not know what it is, some of you younger people, it's called chores. called chores and what we had to do was we had to like clean a room or we had to like work in the yard or maybe do dishes and here's the clincher we got nothing in return we just did it because we were part of a family yeah now I have to pay my daughter to clean my bathroom and listen it's worth it it's worth it because my bathroom is clean I'll do whatever some of the other kids are a little upset by that but We had these chores, and so this particular day, my chore, my responsibility was to clean the kitchen. And I don't know why, but I was on my hands and knees washing the kitchen floor. I think I was just pulling out my inner Cinderella. I don't know. I was on the floor washing on my hands and knees when my dad walked in the kitchen, and he started talking to me. And at first, it was just small talk. We just talked back and forth. And then the next few sentences he said radically changed my life. Because on that day, I found out that he wasn't my biological father. That when he had met my mom, she had two little girls, and he was the father of my younger sister and my younger brother, and that me and my older sister had different fathers. Like I said, around the time that I was born, both him and my mom lived a very, very different lifestyle. And if he had given me my birth certificate, I would see that it had a different last name on it than his. That day he told me he loved me like I was his own daughter, that my mom wasn't ready to talk about this. My biological father, he didn't want to have anything to do with me. He asked me if I had any questions. Then he said he'd take me to get the necessary papers that I needed. He said, don't tell anyone because not everyone in the family knows this doesn't change anything. And he walked out of the room. I think in that moment I felt like it was a dream. I wasn't sure if I had even heard him correctly. And I didn't know how to process what I had just heard. I had a million questions yet I couldn't think of one question to ask. I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to think or feel so I just kept cleaning the floor as nothing around me felt real anymore. You see, what I didn't know happened at that time, but would later discover, was that a seed of rejection had set in while I was sitting on the floor. Because I started to view things very, very differently. When my dad would show love to my sisters, I would think, he loves her more, he's not my real dad. When my dad would get mad at me for something that I did, I'd think, he's not my dad and when I didn't like what my dad was saying to me I would think you're not my dad I don't have to listen to you and I started to pull away from my dad and family and started to protect myself from getting hurt again I never walked away from God but I started to put up walls walls to keep people out walls to only let people see what I wanted them to see and walls where I was in control and nobody was gonna hurt me again shortly after I graduated um, I decided I was gonna move out of my parents house and live on my own because I could do it all by myself I continued going to church and was still very involved in the church and I worked with kids and young people and during this time I even finished two years of Bible school but I still felt like I didn't know where my life was going and what I was supposed to do that something was missing I knew I was a calling of my life but I didn't know what that meant when I was about 19 there were two very very influential people in my life they were my youth pastors at the time youth pastors rock <laughs> my youth pastors they were very influential in my life and they had started to talk to me about setting time aside and seeking God about my future and they had suggested that I do a year at YWAM It was also the same time that I decided to search for my biological father, and with a little little bit of help, I found him, only to discover that he didn't want to meet me or know me. So I headed off to YWAM, feeling lost and unsure of who I was or where I belonged in the world and who I belonged to. While we were at YWAM, there would be these week-long sessions where they would do teachings all week long. And one week there was the week of inner healing. Woohoo! yeah. But it was there that I was introduced to a word that I had heard, but I didn't know what it meant. It was called rejection. You see, what I didn't know was happening when I was sitting on the floor in the kitchen was that rejection had come into my life. And what I didn't know was happening when my dad would show love to my sisters is that I allowed rejection to come in. And what I didn't know was happening when my biological father said, I don't want to know you, the rejection inside got bigger and more painful for me. You see, rejection occurs when a person believes they are unappreciated, devalued, dismissed, unwanted, violated, or victimized and rejection can result in a person outwardly or invisibly withdrawing, or it can be an inward withdrawing. And I realized that was me. What I'd been feeling had been finally put into words. I allowed the enemy to play with my thoughts. I had looked at things and events in my life through the lenses of rejection. Everything that happened around me was clouded by rejection. So everything that my dad did, everything that my dad said, I looked at it with rejection because that's how I felt. When my biological father said he didn't want to meet me, I instantly thought, there must be something wrong with me then. I felt unwanted. And when my dad told me he wasn't my dad as I sat on that floor and my mom didn't want to talk about this, I thought, I must be a mistake then. I was unwanted. Rejection is a powerful, powerful tool the enemy uses. And it makes us believe things that are not true. And I am so glad that that is not the end of my story. That my story goes on further from there that that's not where it stops where I sit in rejection and that's where I have to live you see as I allowed the healing process to happen in my life God took me on a journey to find out who he said I was like I said I had grown up in the church and I had probably read this whole book at one point and I knew scripture and I had heard them quoted from the pulpit many many times but I remember the day when Psalm 139 became so real for me and this is what it says it says for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful and I know that full well My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you verse 13 says you knit me together in my mother's womb that means he put me there you see the lie i was believing was that i was a mistake i was unwanted but if god put me there if god put me there if he created me then how could i be that mistake and verse 16 says your eyes saw your eyes saw my unformed body that means That even if my mother didn't see me coming, God did. And even if my biological father doesn't want to have a life with me, read what the rest of verse 16 says. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. That means that God wrote out my life before I was even conceived, that he desired a life for me. You see, this scripture alone changed me. It changed the way I looked at myself, my family, at God. It was su- it's such a powerful scripture to me, and I know that some of you might not understand this, but on my foot, I have fearfully and wonderfully made because I want everywhere I go, everywhere I walk, everything I do, I have to remember who created me and why I am here because the enemy wants to tell me something different. The enemy wants to tell me that I'm a mistake, but I need to know that as I walk out my life that God is with me And he has every step ordained for me There's a quote I heard From Rick Warren. He's the author of the purpose-driven life. I have it written in my Bible, and it says You are not an accident Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He wanted you alive and he created you for a purpose. Focusing on yourself will never reveal your purpose. You were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will never make sense. Only in God do we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. This morning, as I've been telling my story, I believe God wants you to know that you are loved and that he sees you. You are not unseen. He sees you. There are some of you that might be going through something and you think you're going through it alone. Or maybe you heard your story is like mine and you're dealing with something and you think nobody can know about this. This morning, God wants you to know God sees you you're not walking alone you're not in this alone he is with you because he sees you there's a story in Luke 5 and in this story we find a very discouraged frustrated disappointed fisherman who is about to meet Jesus it's found in Luke 5 1 to 7 and this is the story it says one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret did I say that right Oh, I worked on it. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little way out of shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon asked her, Master, answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and have caught and haven't caught anything, but because you say so I will let down the nets When they had done so they had caught caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came to and filled the boat so full that they began to sink When I read this story, I've heard this story many times, but when I read this story recently, there was something that jumped out at me. You see, Simon had just gotten back from fishing all night. He had worked hard, it says, and he caught nothing. Ever worked hard and it never paid off? Ever done something and there was no reward at the end? Ever wished for something or thought if I just do this and then this would happen and it never happened? See Simon Peter was a fisherman, and this was his livelihood. This is what he needed to provide it for his family This is what he needed probably to make ends meet and I can imagine that Peter was disappointed Discouraged in maybe a season of frustration a season of things not happening like he had expected And I love the first two words of verse 2 it says he saw Jesus saw. Jesus saw the biggest need that Simon Peter had. The crowd was big around Jesus, the crowd needed his attention, the crowd wanted to hear what Jesus was saying, the crowd was pressing on Jesus, but verse two says, he saw, he knew. He knew what Peter needed in that moment. He knew what Peter, needed in that situation. You see no matter how big the crowd is around us, no matter how much the chaos may be going on around us, he sees you. He knows what you're going through. He cares about you and you need to know that the details of your life are not lost to him. It may seem like nobody nobody cares or nobody sees you, but he does. Just like he saw Simon Peter, he sees you. You are not lost in this crowd. He knows everything in your heart. He knows everything that is on your mind. And maybe your spouse doesn't even know what you're going through, but he does. He sees you. This chapter in Luke 5 gives us hope and encouragement that just as he saw Peter, he sees us. He cares about you when you're alone at night and you can't sleep. All those moments of sleeplessness are not lost on him. Every tear that falls from your eye, not a moment is lost to him. He cares for you, he sees you. Every detail of your heart is important to him. I don't think I fully understood the love that God had for me until I became a mother. Because when I became a mother, something happened to me this love for my children and this I would do anything for them and this protectiveness I had and this mama bear instinct that was in me to protect my kids. And I remember um, Caleb was very young. He was probably, well, I was pregnant with, I was very pregnant and when I say I was pregnant, I was pregnant, I'm not one of those cute little pregnant women. I am pregnant, like I am pregnant, and I'm pr- I was proud of every pregnant part of me. Um, but I was very pregnant with Tori. I was like eight and a half months pregnant, and so Caleb was just a little guy. He wasn't quite two years old, and um, at the time, we lived in the dorms here because Chris was going to Bible school. And so for fun activity, I would take my kids to McDonald's to play in the free play place. And I would sit and I'd drink my coffee and my kids would play. So this particular day, Kayla was playing in the play place. And we were up at Guilford. They've changed the play place now because I I was just recently there. But at this particular play place, there was um, this tube that the kids would climb through. They would crawl through this tube. They'd come to a sort of a landing where there was this net rope where you would climb up like this net wall where you'd get to another landing and then you'd come to the top of the slide and you'd slide down. It was just like three little things. It was just three little things. And Caleb was running through and he'd climb through the tunnel. He'd climb up the the rope ladder. He'd get to the top and he'd come down the slide and he was just running and as we were there that morning the play place started to really fill up, and there started to become other kids. And now, if anybody knows anything about Caleb, he is very, very competitive. Yes, some of you know this, right? Well, he was competitive, competitive at age two. And so, as the morning went on, there were some older kids that came, and I would say these kids were, like, heads taller than Caleb. So, he was probably just about two. I would say these kids were about six or seven years old. And what started happening is, as Caleb was crawling through the tube, climbing up the rope, sliding down the slide, it became this contest. And I don't know who started it, but who could do it the fastest. And so now the six-year-old and the seven-year-old are passing Caleb through the tube. And he is not liking this. He's not going to have anything. No seven-year-old is going to beat my two-year-old. And so he is now aggressively. It has become a race. And I'm watching it. I'm observing it all happen until... Caleb gets to the top of the landing of the slide, and the seven-year-old pushes Caleb, and he falls. And so it's probably about a four, I don't know, I'm not good with that. It's, it's a bit of a fall, right? Because you gotta have a slide. So it's a bit of a fall, and all I see is my two-year-old son flying through the air. And I, this is the mama bear instinct in me. Immediately, I leaped out of my seat, I dove now remember I'm eight and a half months pregnant, okay? I dove through the tube, I grabbed my crying son, and then I decided to turn around in the tube and go out. But what I actually did was got myself stuck in the tube. And so they had to shut down the play place and True story. There's a back gate to get into the play place. So I just shut down the play place as they tried to figure out how to get the two-year-old stuck between, that was wedged between my pregnant stomach and the tube wall. And the tube wall. So they finally got Caleb out and he actually had to climb up the ladder and go down the slide. But then they thought, how do we get the pregnant woman who is now in, like in the fetal position in the tube? And so I heard words like, we need to call 911. And all I could picture was, like, the media was going to be there and everything. But anyways, this gentleman, this gentleman and the, play play and the McDonald's staff, they, they all, they sort of, like, worked out and maneuvered, and they was like, move this arm, move this leg. And they got me all straight, and so now I'm lying like this in the tube, and the guy grabs my ankles, and he pulls me out. Needless to say I never went back to that McDonald's. I literally no joke no joke about it was at Christmas time We went to McDonald's and the kids wanted to go to that particular McDonald's and I was still traumatized by it, but (laughs) It was the most but When I saw my child flying through the air It didn't matter that I was eight and a half months pregnant. I needed to get to my kid I needed to make sure my kid was okay And just like I would have done anything for my child, God is doing the same. He's running to you. When he sees that you're in trouble, he's running to you. He loves you, he sees you. Many people don't know this about me, but my name is not Liza. Surprise! (laughs) My name really isn't Liza, that is a nickname that my papa gave me when I was a baby. My given name is Elizabeth, and this is what it means. It means oath of God, God is satisfaction, gift from God. See, that's the name my mom gave me when she was a single mom. She didn't know God, didn't know the meaning of my name or the significance that that meaning would hold for me one day. You see, I may have been an accident in the world's eyes, but in God's, God wanted me. I am a gift from God. During my time at YMAM, it was a time in my life where I allowed God to start the healing process in my heart and where I allowed God to truly, truly love me. And I started to believe what my Heavenly Father, who loved me, Believe that I had a Heavenly Father who loved me, not for what I could do, not what I could bring to the table, but just loved me for me. That he had created me, that he gave me life. And I started to discover and really believe what the Bible says about me. I started to dig into this book and find out what God said about me. Did you know that in Genesis 1.27 it says, I was created in his image Matthew 10 30 says he knows the number of hairs on my head. I hope he's not counting the gray. In Psalm 45 11 says I am beautiful. In Jeremiah 29 it says I was created for a purpose. In Corinthians it says I am precious. In First Peter it says I am important. In Psalm 103 it says I am forgiven those are just a few things that God says about me and if you want to know what God says about you what God thinks about you what God feels about you there is a book full of his feelings for you there is a book all that tells you everything that you need to know about yourself there is a manual that says all that you are and it's right here the Bible is where you're gonna find the truth You are not your behavior, your struggle, your worst mistake. You are not your past. You are not what has been done to you. Those things you may have experienced, but that's not who you are. There is a difference between where you have been, what you have done, and what has happened to you, and who you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. At the age of 20, I was hoping to find my biological father, but what I found was something even greater. I found out who my heavenly father was. I have written in the margin of my Bible in Psalm 139, so I don't know who said it. If someone here said it, it's in my Bible. That's how important it was. I don't know who said it, but it says, if you don't know who made you, you don't know who you are. So on the days... I need to remind myself of who I am and who I belong to and who my father is. I remind myself of who my God is. And this is what I remind myself. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, he's the keeper of creation and the creator of all he always was always is always will be unmoved unchanged undefeated and never undone he was bruised but brought healing he was persecuted but brought freedom he was dead but brings life he is risen to bring power and he reigns to bring peace the world can't understand him armies can't defeat him schools can't explain him and leaders they can't ignore him he is light he is love he is Lord he is goodness and kindness and faithfulness, and He is God. He is holy and righteous and powerful and pure. His ways are right, His word eternal. He is unchanging. He is our savior, our guide, our peace, our joy, our comfort, our Lord, and He rules our life. We need to know who God is, because then it tells us who we are. When we know who God is, then we know who created us. You see, I'm choosing to believe what God says about me, not the world, because the world would say, I'm rejected, I'm unloved, and I'm a mistake, but God says that I am loved, I am here for a purpose, I am no accident, and I am always on God's mind. I am always on God's mind if you hear nothing else that i say this morning i want you to hear that god loves you and god sees you he sees you this morning hearing this and truly understanding the love that god has for me changed my life and it changed the direction i was going i could be a 50 year old bitter woman feeling rejection for the rest of my life, but instead, at the age of 20, I discovered who I was and who God said I was, and I'm so thankful for that. I do what I do today because of what Jesus did in my life. I have such a desire to work and minister. I love young people, I love working with kids. I just gave holiday time to work with young people this past week, and it's not because It's not because I love early mornings, late nights, and wanna be the tiredest I've ever been in my whole entire life. That's not why. It's because if one life is changed, I sat with a small group of girls who said, Jesus made a difference this week. I discovered, I had one girl who said, I thought I was fat and ugly and I was a mistake, but I found out that Jesus loves me and those things aren't true. Because if one young person can walk the rest of their life and not have to go 25, 30 years feeling rejected and unwanted and unloved, but can walk and know what God has called them to, to walk and know that they are chosen, that they are loved, that they are accepted, don't we want that for them? I'm so thankful for what God did in my life. And maybe this is the first time you're here, and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about God's love. And you thought, as I was speaking, I want to experience that kind of love. Or maybe you've heard that Jesus loves you many times, multiple times you've heard that. but you want to experience it today in a real way, it would be my honor and privilege to pray with you this morning. Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the de- was raised from the dead, you will be saved and you can experience that love that I felt even though I had accepted Jesus at the age of five and even though I had heard God speak to me at the age of 14 it probably wasn't until I was 20 years old that I for the first time in my life experienced the love of God the love that God had for me John three sixteen says for God so loved that he gave his son it was for love it was because he loved us so much. If I could have everyone close their eyes just for privacy. because If there's someone here this morning and you want to experience that love that I was speaking of, I would love to pray with you this morning. If there's anyone here this morning who would like to receive that love, if you just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's seeing anything. It's just between you and God. But I so desire that if you don't know that love, that you experience it this morning, that you know it this morning because God loves you. God created you. You are here for a purpose, and God loves you. So if everyone can just repeat this after me, thank you, I see those hands. If you could just say this, we're all gonna pray this this morning together. Say, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. And today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I invite you to come into my heart and my life I want to trust and follow you as the forgiver and leader of my life in Jesus name God loves you God sees you he knows what you're going through and I'm sure in a crowd like this there are a few people that are going through something and God wants you to know that he sees you he knows what you're going through And it's important to him it's very important to him he is walking through it with you you are not alone he sees you the last couple years our family has probably walked through the toughest season of our life and there have been moments where I wanted to give up and walk away there have been moments when I felt all alone There have been times I cried out to God, where are you? Don't you see what's happening? You could change this in an instant. You could do something. But it's in those moments that I'm reminded that God sees me. It's in those moments that I remember all the times that God did show up. It reminds me of all the times, all those God moments when God did show up, all the times that God provided. It may not have happened how I wanted it to happen, but he showed up. You see, God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you think God loves you, loved you enough to die for you? but doesn't love you enough to walk with you? Do you think he loved you enough to give his son on your behalf but doesn't have enough love for you to continue to strengthen you every day of your life so that you can make it through what you're facing? He loves you, he knows you, and he sees you. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. This is a verse that I have held on to and I have clung on to, and this is how I interpret it. In other words, it says, stop paying attention to what's going on around the world and around you and listen to what God is telling you. So God sees you this morning. He is a faithful God that walks with us. He never lets us fall and he carries us when we need him to. This morning, if I can ask you to stand with me. If you're going through something this morning and you need a touch from God, I want to pray for you. I am sure there's some of you who just feel like you're walking alone and God wants you to know this morning He does not want you to leave this place until you know that God sees you and He is walking with you. I don't understand why we have to walk through some of the things that we do, but I know when we come out the other side, it is going to strengthen us, it is going to encourage us, and we are going to be stronger because of it. But this morning, there are some of you that need to know that you are not alone. I want to pray that God will surround you with a sense of his peace and knowing that he is in control. Knowing that he is by your side and that he is chasing after you. So this morning, if you need to receive a touch from God, just get in a posture to receive. And I don't know what that is for you, but for me, it's just putting up my hands to receive something, to receive a gift. Because I believe that God who divided the Red Sea can divide all the problems that we're facing in our life. And for me today, this morning, I believe that the God who raised Lazarus from the dead is the exact same God who has the strength and the power to raise to life something in my life or maybe yours that seems like it will never be resurrected again. I am believing for God to do great things. And I believe there's somebody here today who needs to rest in the fact that you are not unseen, you are not unknown, and in a crowd with so many people and so many issues and so many needs you may feel like your need is so small and insignificant but God wants you to know that his eyes are on you and he sees you. God sees you and God knows you. So Jesus, I thank you that you love us and you see us and that you are fully aware of all the needs that we have and you are not surprised. You are not surprised by everything and I thank you that we never have to walk through life alone. You are always with us. Even when we don't feel you, you are there. And just like you saw our unformed bodies before we were conceived, you see us now. Would you flood this room and every person here with an unexplainable peace, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace to face the storm that we are in. And Father, right now, we are asking for you to come and meet us right where we are, facing what we are facing, in every situation, in every detail, that nothing is missed by you. We are not lost in this crowd. You see every real need that is here, And Lord, right now we're asking you to intervene and supernaturally do what only you can do in these situations. We're asking you to shift things where there seems to be an impossible situation, Father. We ask you to do the impossible here, Father. And for those who have felt like they're walking alone and that they've been far, and that you have been far away, would you right, right now surround them with your love with your joy, with your peace. I pray that no one leaves here today without a sense of knowing that you see us. You know us, you love us, you see us. So right now, would you just flood us with that love? And Jesus, we cast the cares of these problems and the situation on you. And right now, Father, I just come against any lie that the enemy would speak that says that you are a mistake you are forgotten or you unloved. I come against those lies right now and speak truth that you are chosen, you are always on God's mind. He is walking with you and you are so loved. And I thank you for all your promises. And we thank you for your word that tells us who you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen.